0: On today's episode liz's pht success story welcome to the podcast helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy this podcast is designed to help you understand this condition learn the most effective evidence-based treatments and of course bust the widespread misconceptions my name is brodie sharp i'm an online physiotherapist recreational athlete Another success story has come out of the woodwork. We have Liz on today's episode. Uh, I thought I'd structure it slightly differently rather than just telling the story from start to end as most of these success stories go. Um, just for a bit of variety, I thought I would kind of chop and change. So we, we have Liz talking about her symptoms, uh, how she managed them, how I guess severe symptoms did get, um, in terms of function and pain and that sort of stuff. Uh, but we then skip ahead to where she's at now, how well she's doing, and then we kind of backpedal and go through some certain domains of her rehab and sort of nitpick, um, take a deeper dive into into those sort of domains. So we have sitting, we have her strength, we have her running, and we have her cross-training. Um, so we sort of backpedal and dive into all of those bits and pieces and I sort of prompt some questions that I know a lot of PHT sufferers do ask about, you know, how long it took to, for sitting to start noticing an improvement in her sitting or um, when it comes to running, what sort of, uh, I guess, pain levels you're following and when to progress, how to progress and a lot of those elements. And so we break those down and... Liz was great with her responses and her story itself. She's doing really, really well. Um, I won't give too much away. I'll let her explain everything. Um, But yeah, without further ado, let's chime in to Liz's success story. Liz, thank you for joining me and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: It is my pleasure. And this is, uh, I'm glad that you've decided to jump on. glad that you reached back out to say, you know, um, to mention your successes that you've had so far, because it's exciting um, and I'm looking forward to diving into it. But before we get into the specifics, can you maybe introduce yourself and prior to the PHT, um, what was your like fitness, your health lifestyle revolving around? Yep,
1: yeah, that's fine. Um, so yeah, my name's Liz. Um, I live in Huddersfield in West Yorkshire in the UK. Um and um I developed PhT in um late 2020, I think. Um prior to that, um I've run for years, um but more seriously probably um the last 10 years or so. I um, started running as a teenager, always enjoyed the outdoors, um, uh, but probably as I say, the last 10 years or so. Um, got into races, just, you know, not majorly seriously, but run a few marathons, uh, lots of halves, um, 10Ks, run with my local running club. Um, just enjoy it. Uh, just, um, you know, keeps keeps me sane. <laughs> enjoy the social side. Um, so, yeah, um, and up until developing PHT, I um, I had started training for um, the London Marathon um, and was training quite well, actually, really enjoying it. Um, had a coach, so I was kind of really focused, Um, probably, you know, my fitness was probably the best it had been. Um, And then, as we all know, in 2020, everything came to a, a, a grounding halt um so London was cancelled and um I carried on my training at quite a, a high you know not intensity necessarily but continued we all had a little bit more time on our hands so probably continued not as though I was training for a marathon but not too far off um it's hard to say what my injury was caused by in the first instance it wasn't PHT at that point it was um uh, oh my gosh, what was it called? Perineal tendinitis, I think. Um, so I developed that um, and managed that over the summer. Um, thought I was doing the right thing by doing lots of cross-training, and I think I probably was, but my personality is that I tend to do everything to the extreme. Um, so I was doing loads of online Pilates um, sessions, um, probably, you know, tons of stretching and um, got on the um, when, when things reopened a little bit got on the back on the well the spin bike so to speak at the gym um, sometimes doing two sessions on the bike a day um, just really particularly because I've been so fit not wanting to lose it all um, and then started feeling a little bit of a niggle into my glute um, in um, November December 2020 um, so yeah, uh, and at that point, because I had a, I had had a little bit of a similar issue when I was training and managed to, or I thought I had, I thought it was parent. Um, sorry, I thought it was a uh, piriformis at the time because it was so high up in my glute. I thought I could kind of manage it and run through it. Um, and the rest is history because obviously <laughs> I couldn't. Eventually, uh, it became apparent it wasn't that. Not for a while, though. It wasn't until, I think, the March when I went for um, a biomechanical assessment um, wh- with a, a different physio over in Manchester. And um, immediately he said, it's not it's not uh, piriformis. It's actually, um, I think he called it high hamstring um, tendinopathy at that point. Um, so that's when I kind of was, was beginning... Was able to begin managing it um, a little bit more, you know, uh, in line with what I needed. I uh, said, "Stop stretching," because <laughs> I've been stretching because I've got hamstring pain. So the immediate thing was to, "Oh, I need stretch." She said, "Your your hamstrings are," I said, zero, whatever that meant." I think you know, I had completely flexible hamstrings, which as a as a runner, um, I didn't need and was very unusual. <laughs> um, so yes. Think I've probably gone off on a complete tangent there, talking about the history of it.
0: <laughs> well, it is a long history. And from the general sense, I guess there's um trying maintaining sort of high volume uh training, that that being like running and also the spin classes that you're talking about, just trying to not lose fitness, which I, I think is a pretty valid um, concern that a lot of people have when they are injured or um like you say, you had the, the ankle issues and wanting to cross-train to preserve fitness because I think that's a lot of fear, especially if you were hovering around marathon fitness. I think that's a, a pretty strong motivator for most. And um, I guess like the onset of symptoms, you're talking about, okay, start noticing some tightness and some um, soreness around the high hamstring or glute sort of area. To which they may be suspected, the piriformis. Um, was there any other signs? Was there any sitting pain, or was there any like pain bending forward, or any of those other classic signs of PHD?
1: Um, yes, I think sitting was quite an early symptom, sitting pain, um, and I remember, um, I remember because I came back just before Christmas and I remember saying to my, you know, to my running friends, I'm going to get through Christmas and then have a couple of weeks off because that was niggling and I seem to remember sitting um, and sleep as well. (laughs) At the same time, I've never been a great sleeper. I decided to um, try and tackle that um, just after after Christmas. Um, So I (laughs) started doing online um, CBT, like sleep, CBT course um, which involved um, sleep deprivation in order to get myself absolutely exhausted which I probably didn't need to be honest because I felt already exhausted so I'd sleep um, and I remember my husband saying to me I'd like literally fallen asleep on the uh, living room floor because I couldn't sit so therefore I was laying <laughs> on the floor <laughs> um, but then I was so tired I was just falling asleep because <laughs> I was laid down, so that was probably, um, yeah, around Christmas time, January time. Um, but I'd had a little bit of that with the piriformis. you know, I had had a bit of glute pain, so again, um, it felt different, it felt more intense. But at that point, I know when I look back on Strava, um, I had said at one point I was having an easy week, um, because of hamstring and glute pain, so I was obviously aware that it was in the hamstring area as well at that point but you know what it's like you try and kind of taught yourself oh it's just the same as what I had before and I can manage it and if I run off road I'll be fine um so I don't think I did have that week off after Christmas (laughs) um and then I remember I, I have so in terms of physios obviously um I ended up having some um online physio with you later on in the year um I've had a a physio for a long time here in Hudsfield so obviously I saw him and then the guy that did the uh, biomechanical assessment but I'd gone to my physio here at home and um he'd um said well just At that point, I think I could manage like four miles. It said, Well, just don't do a run more than four miles. But then I kind of ran every day at four miles, (laughs) just trying to manipulate the advice all the time. Well, you know, I can do, you know. Um, and then I I had to accept, it was just not getting any any better. I needed to rest. Um, but the problem was because my usual go-to would be the bike, and that wasn't good either. Um, and obviously, um, the stretching and things. I think I carried on with Pilates, but just said to my um, Pilates instructor, I knew which which exercises not to do. Um, but it was a pretty miserable time, really, to be honest, especially when I wasn't really sure um, how to treat it. I think the turning point came when um, I went over to Manchester, had that assessment, and then I think we probably started working together about a month or so afterwards, I've just done... Um, lots of research into it because I think one of the issues with the condition is it's not very well heard of. You know, I still have lots of people who would say to me now, "Oh, well, you need to be stretching." And um, I don't think it's, despite it being such a common injury for you know endurance runners, particularly, well, and sprinters, I suppose as well. It's um, it's not really well understood still. I don't think. Um, so I felt a lot better then once I started. Um, but yeah, my, um, my symptoms were sitting probably, that was a main one, really uncomfortable. <clears throat>
0: yeah. I can imagine like the clash with wanting to rehab, but also compelled to run as well. And if you were to, if your therapist was to give you a little bit of leeway or a little bit of a ill-defined parameters we can call it you'd probably do the upper end of what was absolutely um, and if they would have said probably okay don't do 4k anymore go down to 3k you probably would have done the 3k like fast and hilly and all that sort of stuff so just like yeah less guidelines like um if we don't put the restrictions or really set parameters on you then If any ambiguity or any gray zone, then you're going to find that upper limit. But it's why it's tough. It's why it's tough. You know, you don't want to lose fitness. You want to – you've got races like, you know, set off in the future. I want to stay as fit as possible. And that's, you know, generally what people gravitate towards, particularly with the certain runner personality traits. Um, And how bad did it get? Like if we're spanning over – you know, a year or so with having this and the therapists maybe like misdiagnosed or piriformis and a diagnosis then um, backing off the running, what did your capacity drop down to or what? how intense did symptoms end up getting?
1: Um, the sitting was very painful um, and given the time as well, um, it was – Uh, you know we were having holidays in the UK so um, it it wasn't ideal that I had two well it was fantastic I had two holidays but one one was in Scotland and then the other one was in Cornwall so the two opposite ends of the UK really so I remember um, you know having to sit on long car journeys and you know that was really painful and um, you know my job um, is I'm a head teacher so You know, a lot of it is desk based, although I am obviously up and down a lot. Um, So, but I had to, we can't afford a sit stand desk at work, although to be honest, I never tried. But I had um, Mm -hmm. one of the old overhead projector desks um, in my room. In fact, it's still there now. (laughs) And used to stand at that um, rather than, you know, sitting. But then, you know, if you stand too long, your back becomes ache, doesn't it? So I had like a timer on my, you can get apps, can't you? Sit, stand apps um, to sit and, you know, to sit down and sit, so it was timed. Um, so there was that. And then obviously just the pain and, you know, I could feel it walking and the frustration um, of it all. I mean, the worst thing really is, I think most of us do, you exercise for your, your mental health don't you and it was it was that really and there's some bleak stories around as well isn't there you've just got to be careful as well you know I think some people mine was tendinopathy you know I hadn't torn anything off the bone or um you know it's a classic overuse really but you can um, read lots of um, horror stories out there if you're not careful that people never recover. Or, I mean, it was an nasty injury. I think from start to finish, I think um, it took me 15 months to get 95% right. Even when I was training for London this time, so around London Marathon again this time, even then, you know, I did have one flare up where I had to sort of rethink what I was doing. I was meant to race a 10. Ten mile race, um, and I just I did do it, and it did it at quite a good pace still. But um, I kind of did it more as a training run um, as opposed to a race. So even you know that's what two and a bit years later, um, you know can and I probably will get other flare flare ups. I think it is once it's kind of a damaged tendon, it has um, it's a weak spot. But you know I know how to manage it now. Mm,
0: yeah, it's kind of a double whammy when. You run for mental health and then you have that taken away or you have that severely diminished and it starts to affect your mental health, which then starts to inhibit your recovery. And so there's that, it's that really tricky point. And like you said, you at the start, when you're talking about your um, lifestyle, your fitness lifestyle, you're running for, you know, the social side of things as well. And that's also a good part of recovery. But when you're not running, you're not socializing, you, you feel rubbish because you're not exercising, and it's that that downward spiral of all those factors, which is really really tricky. It's hard to to really navigate. And you're, you're talking about how long it took you to get to ninety five percent better. Um, was that that time frame would have been from the onset of symptoms until like then, but. It's probably a little bit shorter if you consider how long it took you to eventually find the right exercises and the right rehab. Because, like you said, there was a, a time in that point where you were sort of mismanaging it with too much running. You were sort of stretching and overstretching, possibly. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I consider that I was back probably late last summer. Um so i was back at my running club september ish um i think i probably i did run last summer yes i definitely ran last summer so i'd say probably it was a year um maybe slightly longer um
0: yeah
1: i did i did actually no it was actually less than a year i did manage to give myself get myself another injury just as i was coming back um i had i'm prone to um oh um Another, I can't remember what it's called now. It's too many injuries, but I'm prone to another injury posterior tibia tendonitis. So I managed to get a little bit of that as well, just as I was, um, you know, returning, which is very frustrating. I have like three injuries within that period. Um, you know nodding your head you understand what it's like (laughs) we're trying to come back and then something else happens um so yeah maybe a year maybe slightly less than a year for that actual injury um but a long time it's the longest injury um I've ever had to like manage um and you've got to remember as well this was all during sort of lockdown periods as well so in terms of you know social and managing your mental health you know there was a time where People could go out and exercise with one other person and I couldn't do that. And, you know, it was um, really um, frustrating and, you know, upsetting at times, really. I know it's just, it's your way of life, isn't it? And you so, as runners and people who just enjoy being outdoors, you know, you you kind of mould your life around that, really. Um,
0: Yeah. It's important that you talk about it as well, because sometimes these injuries you feel alone and you feel like you're not heard or people don't understand when it comes to how severe this injury is, how long, how drawn out, how tough it is to not sit or not go to a movie or out for dinner and socialise and all that sort of stuff can really impact people's mental health. And so um, people listening to I this
1: will,
0: okay, yeah, well, I carried a cushion around. Okay, yeah. I carried a
1: cushion around everywhere. <laughs> carried a cushion absolutely everywhere with me 12 restaurants and things. It was just, um, yeah, it just became the norm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. I could imagine that. I, I hear that very, uh, often when talking with people with PhD, but you said that you're 95% better. Um, can you talk about if we just jump ahead and we're going to um, pick up the pieces after that currently, what have you managed to achieve? What's your running status? What are your symptoms? Uh, where do you find yourself right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think now I'm kind of 98% there. I've not had anything for um, months, um, but I think I kind of keep that 2% so I'm not freaked out if it happens again. I think it's just there. So it's not if it niggles or, um, you know, it's not that I've done it again. It's just there a little bit. Um, well, since since then... Um, uh, I'm really pleased that I managed to, to run London. Um, I had run it previously, but um, it was my first marathon. And then as, as I described, I was meant to do it in 2020. Um, so unfortunately, I, I'd lost my place by then. So I was really lucky in that my running club um, had, I think they get one place per 100 members. So I put in an application for that and managed to get a place this year. Um and loved training for that really you know focused um on it and um got a pb so um by quite a bit as well so it shows that you know you can come back um stronger so i really really enjoyed the race um so everything kind of came together um which is when i got in touch with the user i've done it um so that i really pleased um and then also i have done my first triathlon Because one of the things that I tried to do whilst um, I've always thought I need to learn to do front crawl, never been a swimmer, always got quite a negative mindset about um, swimming. Um, So learned to do front crawl, um, which I think it was something, again, you try and find something positive out of all the negatives. Um, And then did my first sprint triathlon, um, which I enjoyed. It was hard. I'm still not convinced I'll ever be a good swimmer but um, I did it and then I did a duathlon I thought well I did quite well on that and I'm not a very good swimmer so I'm going to do a duathlon um, and leave out the swim (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love that really enjoyed that so and now I'm training again for a half marathon I thought I'm going to try and PB my half marathon time Um, so I'm doing Manchester in October but I'm actually going to I'm training for it properly as opposed to just doing it as part of marathon training or off the back of, you know, my normal, just running training. Um, so I'm in a good place now. I've not had, um, (laughs) touch wood. I've not had any niggles at all. I I kind of know, and I, I continue, I'm sure you're going to ask me about what I do to maintain, but I do continue, um, you know, some element of, of strength training, probably not as much as I should do. Um, but certainly all through my marathon training I did, um, you know, and I've invested in, you know, it has cost money. So, you know, I've had regular massages and things, um, and just for, for London, for the London marathon, I put everything into it that I could just to make sure I got there.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the PB of your marathon. What time did you end up running in at?
1: Um, 3.15. So bang on 3.15, which, um, I was pleased with, um, so that I think it was a seven-minute PB, and I was delighted to because my running club actually awarded me the the marathon trophy um, this year, <laughs> which obviously is given to you know marathon performance. I wasn't the fastest marathon this year by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they kind of recognised where I'd come from. You know, I'd only just gone back to the club back in the autumn, um, so that was really nice that that was recognised.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's also important to mention that not only you're returning to these races, but you're doing it at a, a fairly fast pace, which when it comes to PHT speed is really impacted and the it's, it's a very strong correlation between hamstring strain and demand and how fast that you run. So a lot of people think, okay, how long does it take to actually get back to races but it's another thing to get back to racing fast. And for you to do that in this period of time, I think people will be quite reassured that it's quite um, tough to do and achievable. So um, thanks for sharing all of those. I had a few elements that I want to break down when it comes to your treatment. Sitting, strength training, running and cross training Uh insights that you had for each of those and what's helped move the needle what's been effective and that sort of stuff so let's start with the sitting uh was there anything that you you did mention that sort of maybe manage symptoms with the cushion carrying around the cushion everywhere but a lot of people with pht is like when is this sitting pain going to resolve um what insights did you have in that that domain
1: yeah and that's the thing because the pain's there constantly so it, it was really hard <laughs> you can't just you know other injuries you might it might settle but because you're kind of pressure you're putting pressure on the tendon every time you sit it was just constant um and you know that can really get you down <laughs> um i think just i think it's just your mindset more than anything because obviously you know you can use cushions um but it's still there. Um, I don't know it, it that was the worst, you know the longest lasting thing, really. It, it, I never found a way of completely managing it. Um, moving around, not sitting for too long, obviously, but that's hard, isn't it when you're you know in meetings or um, like long car journeys are particularly. I think I, I had a couple of cushions to boost myself up in the in the car, so. Um. Yeah, I'm thinking about the angle of my legs as well. I think rather than putting your legs out, having that kind of angle, um, mm. helped a little bit. Um. Are you but, still sitting with cushions? No, no. Uh, okay. Although I think I've got one in my, I've got one at my dressing table, but I think that's more just the height. It's a, mm-hmm. It was a better height to be able to see. Um, but no, was I don't there, need it in Can you to, think, think of somewhere in
0: your rehab? Is there how? I guess, strong did you need to be or like how much running were you doing when you started to notice there was actually improvements in the sitting? Because I think you said that the sitting was one of the last domains to actually start seeing improvement.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, I certainly was running again but still having that sitting pain. And as we know, it can be delayed, can it, to the next day, the pain. So then you just feel it creeping creeping in um, but it did reduce it wasn't like just really about one day and then went the next and as I say sometimes um you know it was very easy to get a flare-up and I'm convinced that the flare-ups you know obviously I've done a lot of research around pain and um reading around pain um it did seem to be triggered by you know stress and things like that as well um without a doubt um so yeah it just was a gradual um decrease over time but it probably still, certainly still I think I had a conversation with you around well we'll just accept a bit of sitting pain um because I wasn't getting it any other time really you know I was obviously um did a return to running program and that was okay and walking was okay but it was then the the sitting um, so I had to kind of separate the two, I think, which is hard because then you feel like you, you know, cause you, when you've had such a long time off, you then do get to the point of you're scared to come back and do too much too soon as well, because you've, you know, you don't want to, you get, you get to that point where you've got to accept you're not running, but you don't want to prolong that anymore by it's all a balance, isn't it? But you've still got mm. to, um, load load it in that way as well you've still got to sit you've, it's like anything you've got to return to it and increase it and i think that's probably what i did you know um blank it out i think but it's it's like with the running increasing the time that you can tolerate the sitting and just trying to increase that bit by bit
0: yeah did you have any particular structure about the sit stand strategy sitting a little bit more often or weaning off the cushion or was it just purely based on how you felt and you felt that you were getting a bit better so you sat a bit more and it's a little bit unstructured? Yeah.
1: I think I tried using, as I say, I got an app to, to time, sitting and standing, but then it's hard in in everyday life, you know, when you're called off to do something or then you've got to sit down for, you know, most meetings were online again, although I did sort of sit and stand even on on Teams meetings. Um you know, I think everybody everybody knew about it by the end, just boring everyone to death with my injuries. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, but I, I t- tried to structure it a little bit, but then you've just got to be flexible as well, haven't you, which may have um, prolonged things, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you found a connection between your psychological state, if you were stressed or anxious or worried and fearful and all those sorts of things, and link it to having a bad day with sitting. There's nothing that's, um, was correlating physically, but that's almost, uh, means that you can still sit means like you're not doing further damage, not overloading it. It's just like your physical state. You're being worried and anxious about it, which a lot of people do. There's, um, a lot of people are fearful to go out for dinner or fearful to go to a movie or go on a car ride and go on holidays. I've got PHD clients now who have holidays that they've got a a several hour flight booked and they're worried about it because they're worried about the 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 plane ride and it can really um strain or you know be quite stressful and like you say that that does really trigger symptoms it increases pain sensitivity um stress itself inhibits recovery so it's it's a tough balance to make um but did you think on the psychological side of the sitting did that did you naturally just increase your confidence as you were getting better or was there any proactive measures to mitigate the the stress and worry like mindfulness or positive thinking and those sorts of things?
1: Positive thinking I think I mean as I say the amount of um I became quite knowledgeable about the condition I think and. I, as you've just said, it's um, it's not actually making things worse. Um, it just feels that way. Um, so I think it's just, I mean, I, I did do mindfulness, but not necessarily um, at my desk, but just as another way to try and get through, um, you know, the, the situation really. I've always kind of done that on and off. Um, so, yeah, just, just that belief that it will sort of gradually um, dissipate, really, which it did.
0: Yeah, yeah, self belief is pretty strong. Okay, um, thanks for the breaking down the sitting side of things. Uh, let's go into the strength training. So, were there any strength training exercises that you think were really effective in managing overcoming PHD?
1: Um, yeah, I think well, I started with the nordics amongst other things. But you know, in terms of what I really, I think you find you go to exercises so um did lots of those think they kind of got me going um and then obviously added some weight so um um oh i can't remember what they're called now um single leg like the arabesque yeah single leg deadlift looking thing yeah deadlifts uh so did those a lot and i still still do those um and reverse plank actually i think has really helped me just that whole um posterior chain you know holding on one leg for 30 seconds which um you know that's that's quite a a hard exercise but i think that really kind of gets that point um so use use that a lot as well but Um, and I think we did lots of different exercises, didn't we? You sent me lots, um, but those particularly, um, step ups as well. So, um, yeah.
0: Might be good to uh, explain the reverse Nordics. So for those who aren't familiar, if they're familiar with like a normal plank, this is where you turn around. So you're actually, um, chest up or facing the ceiling and you've got your elbows back onto the floor. And so it still looks like a plank position, but you're just facing the other direction. And you said that you were doing single leg, so lifting up one leg and sort of driving your heel in towards the floor and holding that for 30 seconds.
1: Yeah, it was tough. Um, and it's, you know, it's your posture as well, isn't it? So trying to keep us flat like with a normal plank, your core as well. So I think it was quite good for that as well. Um, and, my, you know, my whole body will be quivering after 30 seconds. Um so and I, I do those, still do those on both legs, actually. And interestingly, I find it harder on my um, good legs, so to speak, um, than, than my other leg. I think you know, the tendon is, pro- although it's damaged, it's, uh, it's stronger now on the leg where I did have PhD, but I do um, obviously then do it on both. <laughs> <laughs> yep. so that's yep. that's still definitely a go-to exercise and one that i would you know recommend highly recommend i do recommend that to you know friends who sort of describe similar niggles so do they you know do the reverse plank um my husband can't do it you I can, can't do it on one leg he just does it on both mm-hmm. legs so i think it is quite challenging
0: yeah and do you prescribe to a certain how many times per week or do you have a set structure around those
1: no, not enough, really. I mean, certainly when, um, in my head, now I'm training again, like one strength session a week, at least. I know I should be doing more, but it's it's fitting it all in. Um, when I was training for London, uh, I did actually go to a strength and conditioning class at my um, physio, paid for a package that involved, um, you got a strength and conditioning, but only I went so we could tailor it to to what I needed and I remember she was doing uh, the physio was getting me doing you know um like three or four sets of, of the reverse plank and I think actually to be honest following that that's when I had my niggle um so I think it just it wasn't necessarily I think I just overworked it really and then was conscious I didn't want to race on it after that um, yep. but ideally, I guess I should be doing it twice a week, really.
0: Yeah. Well, like you say, it's trying to find the balance in things. And I, I guess running is taking up a lot of your time. And in saying that moving on to the, the running domain, do you have, my first question would be like, do you follow any particular rules, guidelines when it comes to symptoms during a run or after a run? Um, do you, yeah, do you, do you prescribe to any particular guidelines right now?
1: not now because as i say luckily i'm um pain free i think um i think i would listen to my body more than i than i did do previously and not try to i think i would be quicker to stop hence you know the decision i made not to do this race through my training actually um looking at the bigger picture wouldn't you know wouldn't risk that again um But that's, you know, that's me listening to my body. And it's hard, isn't it, to know what is a little niggle and what's an injury. Um, But, you know, if it is a little niggle, then you have a couple of days off, then it doesn't matter, does it? So um, and then throughout, you know, throughout the, you know, the injury, then I probably tried to subscribe to the three out of four, um, three or four out of ten. But again, that's so relative And I remember thinking, well, that's, you know, I don't feel like I'm being stabbed to death. But then somebody said to me, no, it's like kind of, you've got to think of it as in the most pain you'd have for this particular injury, not like the worst pain you could have ever. (laughs) So even then I was thinking, you know, trying to rationalize it in my head, thinking, well, it's not that bad because I don't don't feel being Uh, so I think that's something as well it's pain's you know it's so subjective isn't it and what you feel is pain might not be what other people but um so yeah I think I would certainly at the moment be more conscious I, I try to listen to my body more um and I wouldn't be running through things that probably I might have done before
0: Yeah. It's a question I get a lot. Like what is a four out of 10? What is a three out of 10? Because like you say, it can be quite subjective. And um, some of, to your point as well, if you're the type of personality that's going to do more if allowed, if giving that sort of um, a little bit of slack on that rope, if you, you you know, pull on it, there's, you could almost convince yourself that it's like a, a three or a four out of 10 and therefore you know, falls within acceptable limits, but someone else might say, you know what, that's like a six or a seven out of ten, and so that's where it, it can do. It can get a bit messy, but I think for those listening who want a little bit more guidance, um, you can also go for a run. Subjectively tell yourself, okay, I think this is a four out of ten, and then every time you go for a run, you're using that as a reference point. And so your four out of ten is going to be different to someone else's four out of ten, but you have your four out of ten. And then we pay attention to that staying below that amount. And if, you know, three or four weeks go by and you're it's still you're still not making an improvement. We're not moving the needle in terms of managing greater loads, then perhaps you're four is someone else's six and we need to recalibrate what the rules are. So your four is still a four, but our rules might be, okay, you need to be under a two out of 10 rather than a three out of 10. So based on how you're perceiving those uh, that pain, we can then assign a rule to that. We can calibrate to those rules, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> hmm.
0: um, and progression, I guess, in terms of Running, running distance, running speed, uh, introducing speed. Was there any particular method that you found helpful?
1: Uh, well, it was very, very incremental. <laughs> it was. Uh, I think I started on, gosh, um, one minute. I don't know you might be able to remember what we, on the plan. It was like the lowest um, amount of running, really. Um, so yeah, was it one or two minutes out of? 12 bring something
0: it's... let's have a look because <laughs> really, I haven't really... looked at it for a long time
1: yeah uh... hardly any running at all and then did that for 3 or 4 days was it um, and then progressed um, and just tried to keep it I mean I have my cadence is kind of not bad usually and I know people say that your cadence is your cadence but actually mine cadence is a lot slower if I run slower um mm. Or a lot. Yeah. So um, I tried. I just tried to run relaxed. I didn't want to run too slowly because then I think I maybe uh, my strides were longer. but um, well, Obviously, I was so unfit by then. Um, so, yeah. And then gradually built it up and then sometimes had to pull back um, on the on the amount I was running. It was really, really slow frustratingly so um and then introduce a bit of speed um hills as well because you know where i live uh it's pennines in yorkshire so you know um hill if i'm running any kind of run as opposed to just up and down a road um it involves hills so just very slowly trying to listen to your body the issue was it didn't hurt that much when i was running i could maybe feel a bit of a pull um it was the next day. So, you know, I had mm. to listen to my body the next day and uh, just, you just get that pain creeping in. You think, oh no, it's back. <laughs> it hasn't gone. Yeah. Um, which was just gutting then.
0: I looked up the first phase of the walk around program that we assigned and it was four repeats of one minute running, three minutes walking, and then progression every like, every third sort of attempt or second or third attempt, but we just added one repeat of one minute every time. But then, you know, that one minute turned into two minutes, the four rounds turned into six, eight, 12. And, um, once we were doing a fairly considerable amount, we then started introducing speed and these speed sessions started at 30 seconds of faster running than one minute of jogging and doing that five times. And then building up upon that. So, yeah, like you say, very um, gradual, very incremental, but necessary when it comes to seeing what you can tolerate. I think people ramp up way too quickly and have a setback and have a flare-up and those sorts of things. So um, can't go wrong with making these little slight increments because if you do end up overdoing yourself and you end up doing too much from what the tendon can tolerate – We've only just made that little step into the overload territory. So it's you notice it, you notice symptoms, but symptoms might only increase for 12 hours compared to three or four days if you were to to take a bigger increment. Um, So yes, the patient, diligent, sensible approach um, takes a lot of time, but is often necessary.
1: Yeah and in the grand scheme of things you know it did seem very slow cuz itching to get back but compared to the amount of time I'd had off in total you know it was um you know a, not a drop in the ocean a big drop in the ocean but you know it was uh it, it certainly was worth it and just that confidence in knowing that you were doing something in a structured way as well i think helped
0: Yeah i often like to have people for like step away from the heat of the moment, the week by weeks, the, um, the race to race and sort of look at a wider lens, look over the period of 12 months and say, look, it's going to look painfully slow week by week, but you'd much rather in six months time from now be running pain-free and maybe running 10K symptom-free compared to being in the same Cycle you find yourself now where it's getting better, worse, better, worse, and you have this boom bust cycle. So that in six months' time, you're still following that same boom bust cycle. Um, but if you take the sensible approach now, it sort of reaps a reward. And in six months' time, you find yourself way better off, which you've sort of found that in a grander scale, like you know, a 12 month scale. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you know, once you accept that your running fitness is going. Um, you just want to do whatever it takes to get right Um, and I remember listening to the podcast can't remember um, the woman's name um, and I have the book actually um, about you know injury no recovery becomes your sport and I kind of invested everything into that and I think that gave me the focus um, you know (laughs) I'm probably quite obsessive by nature so it allowed me obsessive about something else and how to get better um yeah so um and you know I understood that that's what I needed to do to get better
0: yeah Carrie Cheadle was the the author of that that's book it. and talking about okay you can't those who identify themselves as a runner and purely a runner and all they want to do is run they find themselves like in a bit of a um identity crisis and they get back way too quickly, way too fast and it flares them up. But you tend to shift your focus and say, you know what? You aren't purely a runner. You are an athlete. And this is, we are now entering the rehab phase. Uh, We need to focus on rehab as your sport, as much as you would, as you would running when you are pain-free. So dedicate that time, focus, energy, identity into rehab and helps shift that that focus, which I find really important. I want to talk about cross-training. So what elements did you find effective or um, not effective at any stages when it came to your recovery uh, outside of running? Um,
1: the main thing I did really was um... – I walked, and <laughs> walked, walked, walked. Um, I probably walked more miles than I used to run, actually, previously. Um, and just enjoyed that, I think, because it gave me the outdoors. I need to be outside. Um, you know, having lost that through running, I needed to find another way. Couldn't be the bike. Um, so walked for miles. Um, we have a dog, so um, but sometimes I can walk to my own. Um, but we walked dog loads, um, and then I think the the at the gym, I think the elliptical trainer was the probably, probably the um, piece of equipment that was most like you know that I could actually get my heart rate. I remember thinking, feeling like brilliant because I've actually got my heart rate up because obviously walking doesn't do that, um, and I hated it to begin with, to be honest, and kind of you know sulked that I was having to do it. Obviously, that's inside, and I found it harder than running. Um, but then, um, I made it a challenge and would go and sort of almost do like a, a speed session on it and tried to make it a bit more interesting and got some music on. And, um, so I think, and that didn't flare the injury up at all it was quite late when when i discovered that actually or where when i kind of resigned myself to having to go on it because like i said, I said was talking that i really didn't want to um so yeah cross training on the elliptical um but other than that it was the walk and as i say to begin with well i think all throughout actually i did carry on with my pilates but just avoided those um stretches um, my instructor continued to do some sessions um online so you know i could just sit sit out and do she, you know, she was aware that i wouldn't be doing those but nobody else would have noticed anyway um, what else did i say i did learn did my um swimming but that was later on again um, but the main thing probably was the walking the strength exercises and then in terms of getting the heart rate up the only thing really i could do was the elliptical um and anything else would have flared it up when it was particularly bad
0: Hmm. did you ever do you ever have issues with walking because i know some people walking fast might elevate their symptoms did you ever get any of that
1: um i remember going on quite a hilly walk and then I remember once actually walking a mountain with my husband and um, brother-in-law, and they told me it was going to be four miles and not too hilly. And then actually the route was, um, I think they'd, they'd mapped it out in one direction. So actually it was like, well, more like nine miles <laughs> up a mountain, which is going to be hilly. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I think that blurred it up a little bit. Um, but not as much as running. Like you say, I think it's that quick Um you know, that burst, um, explosive. Um, so the hills did a little bit, but not as much, you know, as soon as I tried to, to run that, that's what did flare it up more. So, But walking, not so bad. As I say, I think I felt a bit of a tug sometimes. Um, and, um, um, yeah, it wasn't too bad.
0: Yeah. As we're wrapping this up, I wanted to ask if someone had just been diagnosed with PHT, uh, yesterday what would be your advice on what they should do or um any advice you can give
1: uh stop stretching <laughs> your automatic go to is to stretch if your hamstring hurts um try to stay positive it's really hard because you you want to research it but then you know it's a nasty injury but you know that belief that you can get through it and you can you know bodies recover don't they um, be patient yeah probably not running on the head straight away really or really reduce it um and then try to maintain you know if for me like if like for me it is a lot of your social life and um i i continue to try to be involved in the running club um through you know marshalling and things like that at races so just trying to to keep as positive as you can but you have to you know it's that acceptance that you probably are going to lose your running fitness um but you know we've all been there where to begin with you try and fight it and then you try and you know manipulate the situation think well if i just do this that doesn't count (laughs) but you know you can't you can't trick your body can you so you've just got to accept it and be patient um so yeah and and it's finding finding somebody who understands I mean I think if you can um have that support through uh, a physiotherapist or somebody such as yourself who can just be that person to to ask whether well what do you think do you think I can risk this run or it's just like I say I think there's that limited understanding um sometimes from from people so um, but I think mainly is you know try to try to remain positive. It's really really hard, but
0: yeah. Well, I think these stories really help with that. You mentioned um, belief. Uh, you mentioned also those stories and posts and things you can find on Facebook that does the opposite. It can actually be quite. Um, Detrimental in terms of your mindset if you find that people are really struggling and have had it for years and years and seen no improvements and requiring surgery and all those sort of things that will gradually will gravitate towards those sort of posts and those sort of groups because they're the people that are wanting to post the most. You don't see a lot of people posting success. You see a lot of people posting questions because they are themselves quite fearful and looking for answers. And so when things when that naturally happens, it can provide a lot of fear. But you coming on and sharing your story, you know, bucks that trend. It's sort of getting people to think more positively, people to start confirming to themselves that they do have belief and people can negotiate this and um, having it for quite a long time and having your struggles and then seeing the other side of it. And like you say, 98% better, which a lot of people will take that doing um really fast marathons and trying to go for half marathon pbs i think you know a lot of people would strive um to to aim for that so thanks for coming on sharing your story best of luck with the half marathon pb i'm sure it's going to go resoundingly well and um yeah thanks for coming on
1: oh you're welcome thank you i've enjoyed it thanks
0: Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power.